the Sorrel and Roots podcast, journeying together into deep discipleship. I'm Brian Fisher. I'm Kyle Moody. And I'm Tim Boswell. And the three of us are going to be greenhousing episode 82, which is called Confessions of a Deconstructing Lifelong Christian. Mm-hmm. A bit it. of my personal story thrown in there just to illustrate the fact that life does not always go the way that we had planned. No. And we tend to wake up in middle age and figure that out mm-hmm. and what do we do with that mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking about characteristics of a deep disciple and this is basically another show talking about the fact that we release control how do we learn as deep disciples to release control to stop trying to figure everything out and to stop trying to control circumstances mm-hmm. and instead uh, become like used to scrub from last episode who simply when the time came laid down and allowed himself to be descaled. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about this word deconstruction, which is a loaded word. I, you know, I, as best as I can tell, it's only been popular in Christian circles for the last 10 years, maybe. And it's picked up in steam. It's one of those words, though, that has been assigned to so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of have to, we have to define it. So I tried to do that in the last episode. Some people, when you say deconstruction, automatically think you mean somebody's left the faith. Mm-hmm. Many people don't know or don't don't care what the word means, and in some cases, it just means that you've left, you know, a, a tradition or a, a scriptural interpretation, or or perhaps you've just you're having concerns about things that used to be sort of sacred. And in my case, you know, I've I'm wrestling with them, some things about the institution of the of the modern church. So mm-hmm. let's start here. Was the word familiar to you? And if it was, what did it mean uh, prior to engaging in episode eighty two? When I heard the word deconstruction, it, it was always very negative and it usually was very extreme. Like it's something like you've walked away from the faith okay. or you've done something very, you've just swung to one end of the, the spectrum. I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor, a retired pastor who is involved in spiritual formation and very knowledgeable about the book, The Critical Journey, which mm-hmm. we've talked here. And, and, you know, he suggested that when we get to stage four and the wall, it always involves some semblance of deconstructing. Mm-hmm. Something gets changed. Something gets torn down in order to be built up again mm-hmm. uh, and to prepare us into the latter stages of the journey, which are very outward focused and are very loving and selfless and uh, trusting phases. But uh, there is an element to the wall and the journey inward that something's going to get torn down mm-hmm. in order to get built back up again. Right. Do you guys see that? I mean, do you think, Tim, that that word deconstruction? Do you feel it as more of a finality sort of? There, there is no redemption from that, or do you think a lot of people are more of? Well, you're like Brian was just saying, you're tearing something down in order to build something better up. I think it really depends on the way that you approach it. You know, I'm more familiar with the term coming from a literary studies background, from uh, the way that um, the French semiologist and philosopher Jacques Derrida used it in oh uh, early <laughs> coining deconstruction. Good heavens. I'm not going to dive into it, but 
the important thing to think about is that it's used not so much for how an individual might be questioning their own reality, but more understanding that the idea systems and institutional structures that we depend upon are always already in a process of dismantling themselves when mm. you look at the mm. idea systems that they are wow. based upon. So deconstruction can be a very positive thing in the sense that it gives you a clearer view of the reality of the ways that we do make meaning of ourselves or the world or of the things that we rely upon. But it can also be something that wrecks you if you let it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask if we follow the idea that stage four in the wall necessarily involves a breaking down, a dismantling of something that has been built up in our lives and needs to come down, um, that would seem to assert that for all of us, some kind of negative baggage, negative construction is created at some point in our lives. Uh, you know, maybe for many, it's after many years of being a Christian. And that kind of begs the question, is it just that because we are all human and we all have these desires and goals and ways that we think life will go, that by some point in our life, they don't go that way. And so we need to uh, reconsider how we look at our need to cling to control and have everything the way that we want it. Or is there something fundamentally flawed with the ways that we are being taught and discipled and carried through the Christian journey that are, are worth examining, that we are all constructing meaning out of that perhaps needs to be questioned? You know, the book we've talked about several times, and it's one way to look at the journey of discipleship. And there are lots of ways of looking at it. It's theory. And so, you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant to take this so far to make it rigid. It isn't rigid. I find the six stages really helpful because I think they make intuitive sense. Uh, but the way that we move through them may not make sense at all. So it's not like, you know, we get to stage four and then we go to stage five and then we go to stage six. You, you, you bounce around, you may live in one for a long time, for, for decades. So I think it's a helpful construct to help us understand to your question, the inevitable crisis or angst that inevitably hits everybody. Now, I, I also don't know if a 21 year old resonates with this idea. I, there is age is a factor here in terms of moving to a wall uh, it's probably more of a middle-aged event because I'm not sure how many stage six Christians are 20. They're probably 85 or 90. You know, by the time you get to the point where you are so selfless, so wrapped up in Jesus, so grounded, my guess is it takes eight or nine decades to, you know, get to that point. So, you know, we're all middle-aged guys. Uh, my guess is that if you're going to hit this wall, this crisis, this sense of angst, it's going to be somewhere, you know, north of 40 for sure. But that doesn't mean that everybody embraces it. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots of folks that hit stage four in the wall and retreat. They go back to stage one, two or three, or to your earlier point, they deconstruct entirely and they're just, they just, they're just done. They're gone. Mm -hmm. The questions are too much. Do you think that, do you think that we hit the wall 
when we're in our 20s, but we don't understand how to press into it until we're older. Where I am right now at 47 is not where I thought I would be when I was 20. Right. And so reckon, dealing with that and wrestling with that. But, you know, I always thought that when I was in my 20s, I, oh, it's I'm going to be an actor. It's just that's what it is. And so when that didn't happen, all of the things started falling apart. But I didn't know how to press into that. So I would bury it. I would try to me- not medicate it, but I would, well, I would just try to fix it in a way that was, I, I didn't have the tools in order to start repairing the damage that had been done. I was just sort of dealing with this deconstruction that happened and this identity that I thought I had is now gone. And what in the world do I do with that? And I think that, I think it's huge to be able to know about this stuff when you are younger. So when you do engage these kind of things or when these things happen, if you are younger, then you can have maybe a better understanding of how to press into that and how to deal with that. I think to be educated about the fact that the Christian life is not all roses and, Mm. and uh, wine glasses is good. And to expect that when crisis comes or when a theological challenge comes or when suffering comes, the problem of evil comes, when we really start digging into the complexity of the human life, that that's going to result in doubts and questions and challenges. That's good to be educated on. Uh, so I think it's possible, but you know, at least for me, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I mean, I'm invulnerable. Like, it doesn't matter. But being middle-aged in my 50s, now I'm aware of my frailty. I'm aware that I'm on the backside of my life, the back Mm -hmm. half of my life for sure. And I consider things differently because I'm more vulnerable. At least I feel more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And there is a quality of, to, to take the journey inward, to really dig into your own heart to understand what's really going on there. Um, that's harder to do when you sort of think you rule the world yeah. and you're invulnerable and you're going to live forever. So it may not be even much about age. I mean, if you're 25 and you get brain cancer, that you may you may hit the journey inward mm-hmm. really quick. But I think in general, this is probably more of a circumstance of you know the the second half of life. Mm. Well, Tim, back to you in terms of the word deconstruction. Um, besides the excellent academic uh mm. treatise that you gave us on oh, it boy. how yeah. does the how does the word hit your heart i mean what what has been your experience with it in the faith journey one of pain and wrestling to be perfectly honest um so when you were talking about how deconstruction is nearly always a painful uncomfortable process mm-hmm. that that hit hard mm. and i think it does come back in many ways to the desire to have control um you know i I think that my hands are off the wheel to a greater extent when I was than they were when I was in my 20s and I had my life all figured out. But if I'm going to be really frank and honest with myself, I'm still trying to do many of the same things. Mm. I might pray for God's blessing on something or I might ask for God's direction and I might uh, have a better sense of His presence and guidance. But I often still have my dreams and my goals and my plans, and I lay them before God and I ask Him to bless them. And to a degree, that's me still trying to have control over my path and over my life. And, uh, you know, I read about these people that can just 
give everything over to God and be happy to sail whichever way the Christian breeze is blowing. And I, I'm not there yet. I still very much have my own human desires and goals and plans for my life. And, uh, and but is that a bad okay. thing? Are you saying that's a bad thing? No, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it is still an element of needing control. Hmm. There's certainly a part of me that would like to be in control of my life sure, and to write my story the way that I would like to see it written. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad because we are created with free will and mm-hmm. we are given the uh, job and the responsibility of being stewards. And part of that involves acting in our own agency, mm-hmm. taking what God has given us and having the wherewithal to put it to good use. And I think a lot of that, it, God delights in seeing how we take something and run with it. But it needs to be in a healthy way, not in a, oh, I've got to cling to this and control it and have it my way. Right. There's the rub, right? Like right. you're, how do you express that free will and that desire and to cultivate those things that, ha- that God has put in you and at the same time going, okay, God, well, if you take this away or if you alter this, then I'm cool with that. You know, we have the Christian metaphor that we hear often about the potter and the clay, mm-hmm. and it's this sweet, beautiful image of the potter gently molding this masterpiece that he's making. But I often think it's more like a uh, a blacksmith mm-hmm. hammering on a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've heard the expression being bent out of shape, right? Well, mm-hmm. If somebody's bent out of shape, then they're what? They're angry. They're mm-hmm. upset. They're in right. a they're in a very frustrated state. In order to be in any kind of formative experience, to be formed into another shape, we literally and figuratively have to be bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be formed into something else, um, it's it's a violent process mm-hmm. in a sense. It's sparks are flying. Um, mm-hmm. We have to be heated to the oh, the red hot. Crazy heat. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're not going to bend. We're not going to be molded into something different. We're going to stubbornly stick in the shape that we've been in before. Mm-hmm. And that hurts and it's not fun. It's almost like if you are not experiencing any kind of struggle or tension or stress or at least pressure on some part of you to change, then are you really being formed into something different than you were before? Mm. And that is messy and it's not fun to be around. And sometimes it feels like you need to hide that from other Christians because maybe it shows a lack of faith because you're Mm -hmm. not just being anxious for nothing. You're not giving it all to God. Um, But that's how we're shaped. That's how we're formed. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be comfortable with being around those people and loving them and also with being those people Mm -hmm. and allowing ourselves to be loved by others. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I'm seeing this word deconstruction as something that can be very, very positive. Like when you, Tim, you just said bent out of shape, immediately I have a negative connotation to that. But it that's such a beautiful metaphor that you had with the, you know, I immediately thought of Forged in Fire. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show, but it's, it's absolutely amazing. They take these hunks of metal and just cr- beat the heck out of them and create these amazing pieces of steel that and weapons and all this stuff that is just absolutely beautiful but it takes so much work and effort and heartache and struggle in order to get to that spot so when you said been out of shape in a good way i'm like oh i've never thought about that that's amazing so what 
in my in the last five six years deconstructing for me i've noticed seeing that as a very positive thing i there have been things that have been broken down things that have been taken away taken apart and at the time i was like well this sucks i hate it I, this does this isn't fair and i start really you know i would go inward and think well wh- what am i doing wrong why isn't it working out the way that i thought God has very gently been showing me, look, I'm taking away the things that you didn't need that were actually causing a detriment to you. And I'm now opening your eyes to, like you said, these things around me, Michelle, my three kiddos who are absolutely amazing. I mean, we were talking about this off air that from 30,000 feet looking down, I'm like, I have so much to be grateful for. I have so much to be thankful for. But I don't always live up there in that helicopter. I'm down in the trenches sometimes, and I can't see. Sometimes I lose sight of all of that. Episode 82 is kind of broken up into three parts. So I start by just sharing some of my own life and how so much of my life has not gone according to the way that I thought. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's part of me that mourns uh, pieces that I thought would be different or better. And there's part of me that anticipates and excites, is excited about what might be down the road Mm -hmm. and there are dreams that have been dashed and there are desires that went unmet and there have been uh, many things that have been fulfilled more than I, I would have wished. And at some point there's a, there's a process of sort of accepting the complexity of life and, and getting to the point where, you know, we're either going to, our trust in God is either going to deepen or we're going to become, cynical mm-hmm. and jaded because God just continues to not perform, not do the things that, you know, we expect him to do. Mm-hmm. The, the story, the dragon story from Prince or from a uh, voyage of the Dawn Treader. So interesting. You know, it's a simple story. You take a selfish boy whose selfishness gets him turned into a dragon through the process of becoming a beast. He's humbled. And he becomes sacrificial. He becomes loving, mm-hmm. and then then Aslan delivers him from his beastliness. Mm-hmm. So it's a moral change in that case. Is there not some moral component to any sort of healthy deconstruction? So, for example, in my case, where uh, I'm a huge fan of the institutional church, but scratching my head trying to figure out its relevance for someone like me, who has a deep desire for deeper discipleship, for spiritual formation, for a set of relationships that um, is okay being raw and vulnerable mm-hmm. and growing together even when, mm-hmm. even through suffering or sorrow. Mm-hmm. There's still a moral quality to that because that process of asking those questions and expressing those doubts reveals things about my heart and they reveal things about the heart of God. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim, in your case, you have theological systems where you feel the freedom, sounds like now, to explore other perspectives and being okay if you end up concluding something differently than you did before. Yes. Those are all, there's still moral qualities to each of those deconstructions mm-hmm. that I think hopefully indicate that God is refining us as men as human beings for the purpose of being more loving. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was in my twenties or thirties, I would have absolutely judged anybody who left the institutional church, even for 
good reasons or even just temporarily. Mm. Like if somebody said, hey, you know, I'm just taking a year or two off. I'll be back, but I just need to take it. I would have judged them. Mm. Today, yeah, you know, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I resonate with your concerns. Why don't we have a cup of coffee and talk about it? You know, mm. there's a, there is a, a mellowing of the harsher sides of me that have occurred through the process of, of asking the questions and having the doubts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, we talk a lot about deep discipleship and these last three stages because we view, and frankly, much smarter people throughout the last 20 years view those last three stages, the journey inward, the journey outward, and the life of love as what's missing for modern Christianity. Mm-hmm. That we, have, we do not have communities or permission or even uh, knowledge that there are stages to the faith that require deep introspection, are probably going to involve some suffering and sorrow, but are, to your point, the refining gracious mm-hmm. elements that God employs to cultivate deeper and deeper discipleship for the purpose of loving well and for increasing the kingdom. And that angst is what drives what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Because as we all experience these, at least stage four, I think we all have had experiences there. I'm, mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hopes that at some point our family reaches stage five mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a deeper sense of trust there. There's a deeper humility. There's a, there's a deeper allowance for God to do whatever he wants. There's a, there's a lack of control on my part. There's a lack of trying to figure everything out. All those things that I hope for. And it doesn't look like what we normally think kingdom growth looks like. Mm-hmm. Kingdom growth usually looks like church growth, mm-hmm. institutional growth, audience growth, social media likes, books sold, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you really scrutinize deep discipleship in these latter stages and and us going through the unpeeling process or the descaling process, it's much more individual. It's slow. It's contemplative, sacrificial, not in the limelight, mm-hmm. not concerned with butts and seats. Mm-hmm. It's really the economy is very different from what we normally look at as quote unquote kingdom growth. So I'd love just your reaction to that. Well, I think you really hit on a key point there with healthy deconstruction, is what you mentioned. You know, we might do well to say, what does that mean to be? approaching it in a healthy way. Do you have and can you maintain a solid footing beneath you even as you are grasping at these new thoughts and ideas and realities? And do you have still the solid rock to stand upon? And I think there's a difference between those who are still securely resting in the knowledge that the basic fundamentals of their faith and their trust in God cannot be shaken and will not be washed away by the storm, and those who are throwing everything to the wind because they have been buffeted by the storm and now feel they have nothing secure to stand on. Mm -hmm. I, I think the three of us have an advantage in that we have been pressing into the wall from a position of relative stability. I know we've been going through a lot, um, each of us in different ways. But I think for us, perhaps it's a different scenario from, like you say, somebody who might be 
25 and they suddenly find out they have six weeks to live from brain cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, They might not have had the time or the distance with Christ to develop that kind of relationship where they have that solid foundation. Mm -hmm. So I suspect that healthy deconstruction takes place when you can do it from that grounded circle you stand upon that everything else could fall away, but that's going to stay strong. And it gives you that sense of calm and peace and stability from which you do have the freedom to question whatever else you want and to really push into those things that might make you really uncomfortable because you know at the end of the day that your father still has you Mm -hmm. and that he's going to love you come what may. My hope for looking at the qualities of a deep disciple, and this one in particular, that deep disciples, the more that we fall in love with Jesus, the more that we understand our own hearts, the more that we move through stage four and the wall onto stage five, we become people of greater hope through the suffering and the sorrow and the questions and the angst and the doubts and the you know, the dealing with moral failures and the the way that those things shake us. At some point, we each sort of make a decision, don't we? That when those things hit, and they always hit, mm-hmm. what are we, what do we do? Do we respond like Peter, which is, where else are we going to go? Like, Jesus, we're going with you. Mm-hmm. Or when Jesus gives his famous speech about eating his body and drinking his blood and all these disciples take off, we're like, hey, we're deconstructing from the faith. Like, we're done. We're out of here. And that circle, that rock-solid piece that you're talking about, uh, I think it is cultivated in community. And ultimately, it is grounded in hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the catalyst of the Christian faith, that we don't suffer needlessly. We're not experiencing the wall for no reason. And when all of the angst and the questions and the doubts are either answered or pacified or we simply accept them for what they are. We learn to live in the tension, Mm -hmm. which is so often the case. We have a deeper and deeper sense of hope, not only in eternity after death, but hope right now Mm -hmm. that this actually is all working together for good. Mm -hmm. We don't get it. We don't often like it. We rarely see it. But if, you know, we are having our scales peeled off and it hurts that at the end of the day, we know that there's a fresh younger soul on the other side who is, who is more in love with Jesus and others and more conscious of themselves. Well, and also I'm not the only dragon that's going through this, right? I I've got other dragons with me that know what it feels like to have those scales removed and they're willing to have that stuff raked off and they can identify with me and they understand me and they can. And again, for me, it's hope. And it's like you said, it's, it's that extra layer of encouragement that I know I'm not alone. I'm not the only one struggling with this. I'm not the only one that is experiencing this kind of deconstruction or this sort of angst or struggle or whatever it may be. And you mentioned Peter. I think he's a great example for us to look to here because you know, when Christ was taken into custody, if you want to call it that, in the garden, and, uh, you know, Peter had his great failure where he denied Christ three times, it's easy to look at that and say he's acting out of fear, but I think there was 
more to it than that. This is the same guy who stepped out of a boat onto the tossing waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The guy was brave. He had courage. He had guts. I think it was more a case of deconstruction where he was questioning everything that he was so sure had been true. Mm-hmm. He had these ideas of how he thought things were going to go. He had these ideas of what the kingdom was going to look like, of what Jesus was going to do, of how he was going to take command, of how he was going to lead the disciples into this glorious new age. And here he's been <laughs> taken before Pilate, and he's being whipped, and he's being prepared for crucifixion. And Peter says, I don't know him. And I think in those moments, he's also saying, I don't know myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to think anymore. I don't know what mm-hmm. to believe anymore. Who am I? What is even happening here? Mm-hmm. And so we can look to Jesus, as always, for our model for what needs to happen next. So Christ dies, resurrects, and reappears to his disciples. And where do we find Peter? He's in community. He's with the others around him who are mourning, who are deconstructing, who are grieving the loss and the death of what they believe to be true. And then after that, we have that beautiful scene. I I picture Peter just falling down, sobbing at the feet of his master, and Jesus having that conversation where he asks him again and again, do you love me? Mm -hmm. Feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. And he is gently drawing Peter back into purpose and connection an identity, and a restored relationship, stronger, more powerful than it ever was before, mm. because he's pushed through to the other side, and he has said, yes, this is true. You are the Lord my God, and I will serve you. Mm-hmm. And then you get Acts 2. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> One of the greatest sermons ever mm-hmm. delivered. Mm-hmm. Well, great episode, guys. You know, there's a Latin phrase that I use all the time when I'm signing off on emails, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it's Duke in Altum. And uh, it means put out into the deep. And that's what Jesus says to, to Peter. And that's sort of the underlying motto of what we're talking about here, which is take that step into uncharted waters. And sometimes that is a deconstructive process with the understanding that with Aslan in control and by our side, there ultimately is a, a deeper uh, reality of hope on the other side of that that's right as much as none of us want to be in stage four in the wall that's the that's the end result and we're going to continue this series with a few more characteristics of a deep disciple i hope you're enjoying it but we spent four episodes on just this one this aspect of releasing control Mm -hmm. because i think it's one of the hardest things for modern christians to do Uh, especially if we're prosperous uh, in the society in which we live to give up our dragon scales and allow Aslan to peel us back even on some things which we hold really dear Mm -hmm. even some Christian things quote unquote which we hold really dear is such an essential part of our growth so thanks for exploring with me today guys appreciate it glad to be here yeah for more information you can check out soilandroots.org that's soilandroots.org we'd love for you to sign up for our email list so we can stay in touch with you and as always you can email us at fish at soilandroots.org and we'll see you next time Did I even answer your original question? I don't even remember what my original question was. (laughs) I don't think I did. We'll say yes.